Well, many of you guys know, if you've been here for at least a month, this is our fifth service here. And um, our, our vision and our mission here at Our Savior's Church is reaching people and building lives. And so this morning, I kind of want to actually kind of flesh that out a little bit and tell you um, in a grander scheme how we as a church can do that. How many of you would just say by a show of hands um, that Crowley needs Jesus? Anybody in here? Okay, that's, that's pretty much everybody in here. So it's obvious. So it's also obvious that um, as a church, it's very, very important for us to be more than people that just come on a Sunday morning and sit in the Rice Theater and listen to a sermon and, and, and worship. It's got to be so much more than that. And I know many of you are here and you're saying, man, I'm, I'm ready to get plugged in. I'm ready to get involved. Just lead me and tell me what to do. And for some of you, maybe you're still here and you're kind of checking it out. You're filling it out. You don't want to be a part of this church. And can I say this? Um, if you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I've come once or twice and I'm just not sure. Um, one of the best things that you could do is leave this place and just say, God, do you want me to be here? Do you want me to be a part of this family? And if you do, just get rooted, get committed, get involved here. And if not, um, we totally, genuinely believe that there are many other great churches in this city too. We're not saying we're the only flavor in town. But um, the most important thing for you is to get involved and to get connected to a life-giving church where you feel that personally you can grow. And so I want to read something to you um, in Matthew chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me there. If you're new and you do not have a Bible, we have free Bibles for you right there in the back at our connections table. Matthew <coughs> chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. And it says this, and it's talking about you, the Christian, the church. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Listen to this. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So there's many implications in this verse, but one of a few of them that stand out to me is this, that if we as a church can be a light to a city, people that are skeptical about Jesus, people that are skeptical about coming to church in the first place, they're going to see something different about this church and say, because I see authenticity, because I see people that genuinely love Jesus, and even though they fail, even though they make mistakes, they repent when they're wrong, and they see an authenticity about us. This is what happens. We begin to become the light of the world. And people see something genuine. And they say, my life is broken. And it needs to be fixed. And I'm going to come check this out. If we're to be the light this passage is describing, then we must ferociously bring light to the darkest areas of our community and our world. Let me give you a little vision for what I see and uh, for this church and for this community. Imagine it this way. Can you imagine a church that is so involved in serving the community, that they're so attuned to the common good for the sake of the gospel, that your city would grieve if we picked up and left tomorrow? Could you imagine a church like that? If, like if we decided to call it quits, pack up our bags, and leave, that the church would literally mourn and grieve because we are so rooted, we're so involved, we give so much back to this community that the city would literally feel it if we left. That's the kind of church 
that we want to be. That's the kind of church that we strive to be. And I want to flesh that out. How do we get there? How do we be a church that we're so involved, we're so invested into this community that if we were to pack up and leave tomorrow that our, our city would literally mourn? Before we can get there, I want to share a few statistics with you. And uh, these are some statistics for our world, okay? So this is not our community, but this is our world. I don't know if you know this, but 1.5 million people live on less than $1 a day. 1.5 million people live on less than $1 a day. Uh, here in America, you can't even buy a cheeseburger for a dollar. Um, but all over the world, there are many people and families that are living on less than a dollar a day. Um, one billion people, okay, there's about seven billion people in the world. One billion people um, do not have access to clean drinking water. Um, six million human beings a year die from malnutrition before they ever reach the age of five years old. Okay, so you have six million human beings that don't even get to see five years before they die, and it's not because of a disease. Um, it's not because they were murdered. It's because they simply just did not have access to food. 800 million people go to bed hungry at night. Um, the growing statistic, which is uh, just extremely infuriating and frustrating when you start to read all this stuff. And um, next year, we're going to do a whole sermon de dedicated just on this, this topic. But um, this is a growing stat. But they're estimating that about 300 to 400 million of uh, women and children are being sex trafficked every year. So that means uh, that, that women and children are being stolen from their homes or stolen from the streets and being literally sold into slavery. Um, that is a growing thing, and that's not just something that is uh, happening um, you know, abroad. This is something that is very um, real and happening even here in this community um, and all over. So you hear all those stats about the world, and we often hear statistics about the world. We often hear things about how people go to bed hungry. We, we hear those things. Um, you watch these commercials, you know, you watch commercials of, with kids, and, you know, they get, like, the saddest shot that they, they can get, and, and it stirs us somewhat, um, but I want to take it an even step further, and I want to give you some statistics that I've done some research on um, with this city, in Crowley, Louisiana, so keep in mind, you just heard um, some global stats, here's some st statistics on Crowley, um, there's about 15,000 people, give or take, um, here in um, Crowley, Louisiana. Um, if you include the Acadia Parish, there's about 60,000. I'm sure it could be a little off on that. 68.3% um, of families, I want you to get this. Six, let's just say 70%. 68.3% of families um, do not have a father that is present in the home. So let, let's break that down. 30% of families here in Crowley have a stable home. And listen, if you are a single mom and you are doing your best, then I believe that God gives you an extra grace to do what you're doing. I am by no means trying to downplay that situation. And I know that it's rough and there's a lot of incredible single mothers out there that are doing their very, very best. But the way that God designed it to, to be a man and a woman, that there are only 30% of, of children that are growing up with a father figure in their life right here in Crowley. Um, 33% of families here in Crowley, Louisiana, live below the poverty line. So that's about a family of four that is making an income of about eighteen to seventeen thousand dollars a year. 
Um, and and that's, that's, that's really difficult when you're trying to raise uh, four kids or a family of four on, on that kind of income. And, and here's what I want you to feel this morning. That so many times in church, and I've done it myself, so many times we talk about all of the needs and all of the things around the world and we get super excited about going on a missions trip or getting in the airplane and hopping across the world and, and going to Africa and, and, you know, doing all that. And I've done all that. Um, but we forget, before we can ever go across the pond, that God has called us to this community and that he wants us to just simply go to our neighbor and go in the backyard and realize that probably somebody right next to you or a few streets over from you is hurting and struggling and not even... And they're trying to figure out how in the world am I going to support these three kids that are living in my home. And so as a pastor and as a church, this is what I want you to feel. That when you go out these doors, that there are people all across this city that desperately need Jesus. That desperately need Jesus. But not only that, they just need people to show them practical love. Some people just need them to show them practical love. Some people you might look and maybe you have them in your family and you say, um, that person, if you were to choose one person in your family and you could pick them and say, who is that one person that you think would never come to Jesus? I'm sure we all have that one person that's like, there is no way this person is ever going to submit and surrender their life to Jesus. Here's the crazy thing. If we can get practical about some things and show people the genuine love and kindness of Jesus, it breaks down all boundaries. All boundaries. Here's what's crazy. If you have a single mom who's starving and doesn't know how she's going to feed her children next week, instead of she doesn't need you to knock on her, her door and to go pray for her. She needs you to feed her. That's what she needs. She needs food. And through that boundary that you're bridging that gap now, you have an opportunity to share Jesus. So you may hear these stats and you may say to yourself, the church really needs to do something about this. And I'd say you're absolutely right. But first, we as the church need to evaluate our own heart and ask ourselves a few questions. So I've listed out four different kinds of churches. I'm going to give you three, and then the fourth one is the one that I pray that I pray that, that is the one that we can strive to be. So number one, are we a church in the city? Are we a church in the city? Meaning, is our heart to get a bunch of people in these doors and focus on those people, and that's it? And let me say, that's a good thing. We want people in here. We want people experiencing the love and, and, and the hope that Jesus brings. But it's not enough. It's not enough to just, you know, put some yard signs out and get a bunch of people in here and worship and preach and then leave and nothing else happens. That's not enough. So are we a church that is just defined geographically like, hey, we have a church here in Crowley and that's as far as it goes? Number two, are we a church against the city? Are we a church against the city? Meaning this, are we more known for what we're against rather than what we're for? And by God's grace and prayer, I hope that that never becomes us. And, and the thing is, is that a lot of churches, they're known for what they're against rather than what they're for. Well, you know that they're against this, you know that they're against this, you know that they're against this, and you're like, well, what in the world are you for? 
And sometimes churches like that, they look at politics and they say, you know, politics are bad. Um, they look at the arts and music, that's bad, we need to refrain from all that kind of stuff. Um, loud worship music, that's bad. I don't know what these young people think they're doing, that's bad. You, you can look at all these things and say, well, I'm against this, I'm against this, I'm against this. And all it does is create division and, and disunity in the church. And let me be clear by this in saying that. All of us come from different backgrounds. All of us come from different families. All of us have different opinions and all of us have different interests. But here's the cool thing. When you come into the kingdom of God, you're all working towards one goal. We can set our interests and our opinions aside. Number three, are we a church of the city? These churches wholeheartedly embrace the culture and the city and they kind of lose their flavor. They look more like the world than they do Jesus. This is a church that won't call you out in your sin. This is a church that won't call you out in your sin. You know, one of the things that we're really big here on is family. Is family. My dad's going to be here in a few weeks preaching. And uh, like I said, 14 years ago, my dad planted a church in Jennings. And, and since then, we planted a church in Eunice and, and now here. And uh, ever since the very, very beginning, it's always been about family. Like, picture it this way. A lot of people in church get offended Whenever, um, you know, a pastor or a leader or even just a friend comes to you and says, hey man, this in your life is just kind of off. It's kind of off. Or this in your life is just not working. Or the way that you're treating your wife is not good. And some people get offended by that. But you, you got to look at it like this. If somebody is drowning and you reach out your hand to save them, do you think they're going to be like, hey, no man. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm just going to continue drowning. I'll get this. I got it. And they're, they're, their head's bobbing up and down underwater, and they keep sinking. And that's our goal. If, if we see you drowning, if we see you in a place that is unhealthy, then we always want to do it in a way of love and just say, how can we come along and help you? So number four, this is the church that we want to strive to be. Are we a church for the city? This is a church that is committed to making disciples and actively engaging their community. Some may say, hey, you know what? Um, there's all these things going on in the city. There's all these things going on around the world. Let's build a missions department. And we can have a missions department. And, and through this department, we can begin to facilitate and organize how we can serve the city. And in some ways, that's good. But in other ways, I believe that's bad because really, as a Christian and as a Christ follower, God's called you to be on mission. God's called all of us, every single person in here, to love their neighbor. So the real question is this. Why is it so easy for us to just not care? And I'm, listen, I'm... By no means. I want you to get this because I think you can get this uh, persona sometimes about me up here or anybody that communicates up here. Like we're up here and we've got this all figured out and together. Can I just be honest with you? I don't. There's, there's many, many times when I move to, uh, my wife and I right now are trying to sell our home and move here in Crowley. So if you're selling one, just come let me know. Um, but when we first moved and we bought a house in Jennings, um, I knew that, man, God put me in this neighborhood for a reason, and I know that I need to reach my neighbors. It took me almost six, seven months before I even met anybody. I was terrified to get out of my house. 
So I'm not saying that I got this like under control and you know I've got this mastered. I don't. I still get nervous and scared just like you do. Just like you do. But can I say this? God has put you in your job, in your neighborhood for a reason. For a reason. He has strategically put you there for a reason. So the real question that I asked earlier, why is it so easy for us to wake up on a Sunday morning, be committed to coming to church, but yet forget the gospel? And here's what I find in Louisiana, specifically in the South, is we have this mentality, and I like to call it like the good old boy mentality, is we genuinely believe if we go to church on Sundays, um, if we show up at mama's house and eat fried chicken every Sunday, uh, if we shoot ducks, if we um, drive tractors and we don't get in trouble and we don't go to jail, that our salvation is secure. Right? We can get caught into this web in Louisiana where we're like, man, I'm not doing anything bad. And that, that's maybe true to an extent, but you're not living out the gospel. And this is what we do. One of the saddest things that I hear and I hear, and I'm not talking about just this church, I'm talking about, we have two churches in Jennings and Eunice, and I, yeah, I hear it there too. Man, I just need Sunday to come. I need Sunday, I need Sunday, because I need, I need pastor to give me a message to carry me through the week. And, and here's the thing, if you're relying on me, or whoever else is teaching up here to give you something to sustain you for the rest of the week, it's not going to happen. Just like we talked about two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, it's a fight to know Jesus on a daily basis. So here's the thing. Most people don't know this, but um, in February when we started planning to launch this church, um, I drove into Crowley one day, and uh, I was just praying for this city, driving around, trying to familiarize myself with um, just Crowley and the city. And um, my prayer was, God, I pray that we would be a church that would turn the city upside down. That would turn the city upside down. That would change the way that people think and even make decisions about life in general. Because if we can recognize what Matthew 5 talks about, that you, the Christian, are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. You're a city that is set on a hill and you're not meant to be put under a basket. That God has given us the greatest news in the world, that he sent his one and only son, that when you were dead in your sin, he still came to save you. When you were running the opposite way, he grabbed you and said, hey, it's time to come home. One of the greatest things in the world about Jesus is this. That no matter where you are at in your life, right now, he's always saying, hey, come home. Come home. Come be a part of a family. One of the greatest stories in the world um, is the story of the prodigal son. He goes out and does his own thing. We don't know for how long. Maybe it's years. Maybe it's decades. Living his life. Spending his dad's money. Blowing it. And he decides one day, I can't live this anyway, way anymore. And he battles all these things of insecurity. Will my dad accept me? Will he allow me to come home? And what happens? Finally decides, 
And his dad, it says that he would wait every morning, let's say on that porch, drinking a cup of coffee. And he sees his son. And what does he do? He, he grabs a robe, he grabs a ring, and he runs out to meet him. And he says, welcome home. That's the kind of church that we want to be. I don't care if you've been running for 20 years. Right now, God's calling you to come home. Right now, God's calling you to come home. So are we going to be a church that is for the city? A church that is committed to reaching people and building lives? A church that is committed to not only uh, our own well-being, but the well-being of others? A church that is committed to making disciples and pointing people to the hope of Jesus Christ? The reason that we can love others and that we can do it well is because we have to understand this first, that Jesus first loved us. Jesus first loved us. That blows my mind every time that even, I, you know, I was a teenager one time. I, I did the whole rebel thing. I ran. There was a season in my life I ran from church altogether. I've been there, I've done that, I've questioned God. I've got the analytical mind that, you know, has all these stacks of questions. But God in His mercy still chose to save me. So why is it, and I ask this question again, that we've become so desensitized to the poor, the lost, the afflicted, the hurting, and the needs of this community as a church? Why is it so easy for us to just focus on coming on Sunday morning, getting what we think is ours, and then leaving. I've listed three different reasons. Number one, it's something for the past five years that has, has grown exponentially. And it's something that, um, and I'll be very delicate with this, because it's, it's something uh, that is almost infuriating in a way, but it's something called prosperity theology something that's called the prosperity gospel, meaning that your relationship with Christ has become all about what Jesus can do for you. Meaning this, um, let me put it in a better way, that Jesus has come to give you health and wealth and that Jesus is a genie in the sky that you can call on anytime you want and kind of tap that little lamp and say, God, help me. I need you right now. And if he doesn't, then we get frustrated and we get upset and we get mad because he's not answering our prayers. When we're not committed to pursuing him on a daily basis, we're just committed to dialing 911 and going, God, where are you? I need you. Satisfy me. Come help me right now. I need to buy this house. I need to buy this car. And all God becomes to us is a means to an end. <coughs> People assume that God's mission is just solely about us. That everything exists for us. And God is for you. God does love you. God does care for you and provide for you. But there is a motivation that is well beyond you. Let's read Psalms 23. Maybe this will explain it. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You read that verse, and if you stop there, it can seem that God is all about you. But then you read further, and it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for what? His name's sake. His name's sake. He 
leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So everything that God wants to do in you and through you is for His name's sake. So the reason that God wants to restore you and heal you is because He is for you and because He does love you. But at the same time, He wants other people to see so that they can come to know Him as well. Here's the thing that I've got to constantly remind myself. It's God first, others second, and then me. God first, others second, and then me. And I think in our, in our culture now, we get it mixed up. It's us first, then others, and then God, like thrown in there somewhere. And let me tell you why the best news in the universe is God being first and not you. Because if God is first, and if God is driving the boat, and God is driving the ship, He knows where He's going. You don't. If God is first, if God is driving the boat, He knows where He's going. All the commands in Scripture are about God lining you and I up for greater joy. So here's the thing. If we fall in line to what God has for us, God's goal is always to get us to joy. And it may be through some pain, it may be through some suffering, it may be through some things that seem difficult and hard, but I promise you this, that God always has your joy in mind. I think another reason that it's so easy for us at times to um, become so desensitized is this, church has become about us. Church has become about us. Maybe the worship isn't your style, so you're like, yeah, I, don't, I just don't like the song, so I'm not entering in. The chairs aren't comfortable enough, so you complain, which that is not the case here. Those are too comfortable. You'll fall asleep on me. Or maybe the drive here was too long, or basically a good church in some of our eyes is a dead one. A church that never calls you out of your comfort or your sin. And I can promise you this, that the one thing that we are always going to try to do, and we're not, we're going to fail, but if we see somebody drowning, we want to come alongside you and help you. It's not that we have all the answers, it's that we know the person that does. Sometimes it's just this. Sometimes it's as simple as this. It's, and I think that um, this is what we get in our minds sometimes, like, okay, I, I want to approach a leader, I want to approach a pastor and ask them about this or this, and, and, and we get nervous, because, man, what are they going to tell me, what's going to happen, what's gonna, what's, what are they going to say? And sometimes the greatest conversations that I've had with people about particular issues in their life has been just them talking and me listening. Because for some of us, some of us just need to get it out there, some of us just need to, like, Throw it out there so we can feel like, okay, now this person knows me. Now I'm real. Um, a few years ago, uh, well, I'd probably say about three, four years ago, um, at our Jennings campus, I was the youth pastor there. And um, I took a bunch of teenagers to, uh, to Waco, Texas. And um, the whole goal behind it was we're going to Waco, Texas, and they had this, um, they had this church, and it's called Church Under the Bridge. And it's literally a church under a bridge of, of, of an interstate, okay? It's pretty crazy. Um, and they did this kind of like three-day program 
where they would do like this poverty simulation where they would be, you would get there and nobody knew this. Like you would get there, you'd have your bags packed and all this stuff and you'd show up and you think you're going to do like some retreat and they would just take all your stuff. Like your bags, your shampoo, everything and then they'd give you $3 and they'd say, all right, you got like they have this mission goodwill kind of thing. Go down there and buy some clothes. Put those on and then give us the clothes on your back. And some people were like, bro, I ain't happy. Ain't happy. And the people that did it, here, here was the whole idea behind it, is they wanted, they wanted you to see what it felt like to be somebody in that city that was genuinely struggling. Or somebody around the world that was genuinely struggling. And that kind of stuff isn't for everybody. But here was the crazy thing. That Sunday, um, we, we went to the ch this church, and it was literally a church underneath an overpass and a bridge, and they had about 1,500 people there. And they're all, some of them are like sitting on the ground, some of them are in like these uncomfortable, broken like metal chairs, and the worship was absolutely awful. A guy on a guitar, like un, uh, just horrible. And this guy gets up to speak, and all these homeless people are there, um, all the, they've got doctors there, it's just a super mix of people, and like everybody's intent on listening. And, and what, was, what blew my mind was, man, these people don't care what they're sitting in. They don't care what the lights look like. They don't care what the worship sounds like. They're a body that is united together to see the city come to know Jesus, and they don't care the conditions that they have to endure. They just don't. You know that there's churches all over the world right now that literally have to do church in secret? I mean, there's churches all over China right now that are literally having church right now in a house and if somebody would walk in they would kill everybody in that house if they found out they were reading the Bible or preaching the word of God. So here's what I want you to feel this morning and I genuinely believe this is not just my heartbeat, this is God. That God has called this church, our Savior's Church Crowley, to be a light to the world. Because here's what I find is God likes to take the most insignificant things and make them incredible. I genuinely believe that this church can affect the world. I believe that it can affect the world. Yes, Crowley, Louisiana can have an effect on the world. On the world. Because here's what's insane. Because if you look all throughout Scripture, Jesus takes people that were totally not qualified to do what they were doing. He took a fisherman. He took a fisherman and said, hey, come follow me and preach the gospel. Do you know who was responsible for the church, like after Jesus ascended to heaven? A fisherman that had the mouth of a sailor and was horribly undereducated. And Jesus said, Peter, upon this rock, we're going to build my church. You're going to be the first pastor. Seriously? You got 16, 17, 18-year-olds entrusted to the gospel. If you have 16, 17, or 18-year-olds, that blows your mind, right? Because some of them, you can't even get them out of bed. God likes to take things that people would say, there's no way that could ever happen. Really, Crowley, Louisiana, 15,000 people, you're going to have an effect on the world? I love challenges like that. I love, I'm, in my house, 
it's a love-hate relationship with games. Because I'm the kind of person, like, if my wife beats me, like, we'll stay up till 2 o'clock. Like, I, we're playing until I win. Like, it's just like, when I win, and then when I win, I'm like, all right, we can go to bed. We're done. We were shooting uh, skeet uh, with my, my dad had his birthday a few days ago, and we're shooting skeet. And my wife has never shot a gun in her life. She's grown up in Jennings, Louisiana her entire life, okay? Cajun country, never shot a gun. And uh, I was like, today you're shooting a gun. And uh, so she's got a 20 gauge, and we're shooting skeet. And uh, so, like, I'm in my pride, you know, I'm like, pull, pull, I miss it. My wife is behind, you know, when your wife is behind you, you want to blast every one of them. And they pulled probably like six or seven of them, and I hit one. I was like, dang it. And uh, so my wife gets up, never shot a gun in her life. She's like, pull, boom, shoom, shatters it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? And she's like, all right, I'm done. She, I'm like, no, shoot another one, shoot another one. We gotta go. I know you're gonna miss some point, and then I can shoot mine. And some of us are, I'm a super competitive guy. And here's the thing. I love the challenge that we get to be in a town like Cal, Louisiana. Well, I love this city. I love this community. And I think that there's a lot of things about small town, that big cities and culture that writes off and says, you know, this is the place where dreams come to die. <laughs> I believe that God is literally going to resurrect some things in this city. And we're going to see this city turned upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ that literally has an impact on the world around us. And God wants you to be a part of that. And some of you might say, well, I, I'm underqualified. Well, you can join the list of men and women that were in the Bible that Jesus used. Number three. I think this is a big one. One of the reasons that we don't reach out and we can be so comfortable with just attending church on a Sunday and not going beyond these walls is this might sound confusing at first, but I'm going to explain it. Number three. We major on the minors and minor on the majors. We major on the minors and minor on the majors. Let me give you an example of that. We like to make a stand in Christianity for, you know, somebody walks up in front of you and they've got the mouth of a sailor and they're cursing and all this stuff. And you turn to them and say, hey, please don't curse around me. I'm a Christian. And... Your neighbor next to you is a single mom who can't pay their rent or a meal and you do nothing. As Christians, we like to make a stand for certain things. Like, hey, don't drink that beer around me. Really? Don't, don't, don't use that language around me. You, you know what I love about Jesus is he always broke the cultural norm. Jesus is like, all right, let's go walk into this bar. I'll sit down with you. I'll sit down with you. Jesus was hanging around prostitutes and tax collectors. People that the world said, why are you hanging out with them? And he was constantly accused. Because you know what? Jesus cared about the major things. Hey, I care about this man's heart. And I'm willing to go into whatever places. And I'm not saying that you compromise your character or your integrity or any of those things. But sometimes we like to make a stand for visible things such as cursing or, or 
whatever else. I mean, we could go down the list. I'm not going to do that. We go down the list and we forget about the essentials that Jesus has called us to. Like the orphans and the widows and the single mom. We are a church in the city that is for the city. And we exist to reach people and build lives. That's why we exist. <clears throat> Unfortunately, the mission never happens if we're not willing to get outside of these walls. And I want to give you an example of a church that we should strive to be. And this is in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in, severe, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Listen to this. this I love this verse. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God. To us. So what's going on in this passage? Life was very difficult and hard for the church in Philippi. It says they were in a severe test of affliction and extreme poverty. And they begged Paul. They said, we want to give back to this community. We don't care what our circumstances are. We want to give back to this community at any means possible. They did not stop the mission of the church. They overflowed in generosity. In extreme poverty, they still were overflowing with joy because they were a church filled with people that knew their mission. They were a church filled with people that knew their mission. In Matthew 28, it says this, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's the thing. The task at hand as a church may seem daunting, and it may seem weighty, but in Matthew 28, 20, it says, I am with you to the very end. To the very end, he is with us, leading us, guiding us, strengthening us. We are a church for the city, in the city, for the city. We want to see this community turned upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason that we spent almost three weeks talking about just our personal relationship with Jesus is because it's so important for you to have an authentic, real, genuine relationship with Jesus before you can go to your neighbor. So maybe you're in here this morning saying, man, that sounds like an awesome idea. Love to be a part of a church like that. Um, but I'm in here personally, and I'm, I'm drowning. I'm struggling. I want to tell you two things. One, and I've been there. I've been there. If you don't know anything about my story, I grew up in church my entire life. My dad's been in ministry for... 30, 40 years, I think. And so, before my dad had a church, he traveled all over the place and stuff. And uh, I've been a part of just some, 
some cool stuff, some crazy stuff. And there was a time in my life when um, I just wasn't convinced anymore. I just wasn't convinced. Um, I was in the middle of this. I was in the middle of uh, Bible school, um, getting training, and I'm questioning my faith. In the middle of Bible school. And here's the thing that I love about Jesus. In the middle of all my frustration, in the middle of all my questions, he kept pursuing me. He kept pursuing me. So I want you to know this this morning. If you're in a rough spot, maybe you're in a spot where uh, you don't know Jesus yet. absolutely no sin in your life that is too great for God to accomplish. None. There is no gap in this world that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So I want to do a few things. Can we do this? Can we just every head bowed, every eye closed? one minute just to evaluate your own heart. Say, God, man, I'm, I'm hearing this message. I'm hearing the kind of church that we want to be. And I want to be a part of that. But maybe it's so hard for you to jump on board. And it's so hard for you to get in the game because you just feel personally, you, you feel so much guilt and you feel so much shame about your past or maybe things that you've been involved in. That's you this morning. I want you to evaluate your heart. And you can start running through the list of all the things that maybe you need to repent of. But I want you to know this. That when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. Right now, you're forgiven. As long as Jesus is your Lord and Savior. So I want to do something and I want to... I want to be very clear with something. We're, we're about to pray a prayer, and maybe you're in here and you say, hey, um, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. I want you to do two things. If that's One, if that's you, there's a connect card in the back that I want you to fill out and check that box off and say, hey, I've given my life to Jesus for the first time. That way somebody can follow up with you and contact you. Um, two, we're about to pray a prayer, but I want you to know this. This prayer does not save you, okay? Just because you pray the prayer doesn't mean that you can like check the list off and you're good. You can go live your life the way that you want. The mark of a Christian is a life that is surrendered and your life and those habits that you once had begin to change by the power of the gospel. 
So if you're in here this morning, can we just all repeat this? So if there's only one or two of us, it doesn't feel awkward. I want you to just repeat after me. Say, Father, I come to you this morning. God, I give you my life. I surrender and I submit my heart, my will, my desires, and I give them to you. God, forgive me for running in the wrong direction. But God, this morning, I want to come home. In Jesus' name, amen.